Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Hey, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at JeffWagner620. couple new postings. Uh, there, there's a piece in Urban Milwaukee, which is, is one of the websites that covers the, the city and the region, um, written by the, their editor, Bruce Murphy, who's, uh, if, if you've heard us refer to the Milwaukee County pension scandal, and, and it was about 20 years ago, but it, it still remains as one of, at least in my opinion, the most outrageous examples of government officials who were negligent at best and at worst deciding to put their own self financial self-interest ahead of the interest of the public and as a result what, what's happened is the Milwaukee County has just been you know fiscally decimated for the last 20 years and it, actually there's a very good primer on on that in urban Milwaukee I've got a link to it including the fact that one of the guys who was on the County Board of Supervisors at the time, John Weishan, who voted for it and has been pretty much unapologetic for the last 20 years. He He's running for yet another office. And it's, I mean, the headline of the story is, Murphy's Law, Mr. Pension Scandal Wants Your Vote. And it, it's kind of an interesting walk down memory lane. And, and again, uh, most of the people that were responsible for that horrible decision, they're, they're out of politics, long out of politics. A couple of them are still hanging around uh, trying to, I don't know, find yet another office. And you can check that out. In addition, all right, we're going to talk about this a little bit later on in the show. I, I think we, we all need releases nowadays from all the things that are, are going on. And, you know, you find that sometimes in entertainment. And, and I understand that some things are silly, but, but I just, I, I like them. All right. A number of years ago, they came out with two movies involving Bill and Ted, you know, back when, when Keanu Reeves, before he was in The Matrix and before he was John Wick, um, he, he was in Bill and Ted's Great Adventure. Well, they're, they're updating that. And, and Keanu Reeves is back. The new Bill and Ted movie comes out, well, in, in a couple, a couple weeks and the, the trailer for it is out. And I, I've got a link to it on my uh, Twitter account. It, it looks really silly, but I can't wait to see the movie. If you want to check that out, we're going to talk about that and, and other sort of guilty pleasures a little bit later on in the show. Follow me at Jeff Wagner 620. I've got a link to that story. All right. Let us get started. My answer to this is, I'm sorry, but no. Now, in Wisconsin, under the law, there is a a moratorium on shutting off people for non-payment of utility bills between November 1st and, and April 1st. So what happens is if you get a bill after November 1st and you don't pay it, either because you choose not to pay it or because you don't want to pay it or because you don't have the money to pay it, doesn't matter. What ends up happening is you cannot have your electricity or your gas shut off. That's the law. And, and I mean, I understand the purpose of it is you don't want people to have their heating, their, their heat turned off in, in the middle of January and face a life-threatening situation. So, so that's the law. The moratorium expires in, in April every year. This year, because of COVID-19, what happened is they extended the moratorium. So as a result, 
customers could not, the utilities were not allowed to disconnect people for non-payment until, well, essentially the middle of, of July. The moratorium ended on July 15th, but they can't actually start turning off electricity or turning off gas until July 25th. But that that's coming up very quickly. Now, there are a number of people who are saying what we need the Public Service Commission to do is we need them to continue the, the moratorium. We, we need them to come down and have an order saying that we're going to continue to allow people to, again, have gas or electric service without paying their bills. Let me give you an example. The way it stands right now, more than 69,000 69, residential and at least 7,000 commercial customers um, have are, are behind in their bills to the point that they are eligible for disconnection. 69,000 households. We Energies talks about how their their unpaid bills, as a result of the, the last um, billing cycle, their unpaid bills have grown by $16.8 million. $16.8 million. Wisconsin Public Service saw its past due balance grow by $3.4 million for residential and non-residential customers. Um, Madison Gas and Electric says the balance of its unpaid bills was 11% higher for residential customers, 120% higher for non-residential users. So you have a number of people who ha- have not been paying. And, of course, th- this always starts during the first batch of the moratorium, where people make the decisions not to pay their bills. Now, in some cases, it's because they legitimately don't have the money. In other cases, it's because it's easy not to pay your utility bills. Because if you don't pay your utility bills, your gas isn't going to get shut off. Your electricity is not going to get shut off. There's not a consequence for that. Whereas if you don't pay your cable television bill, boom, they're going to shut off the cable TV. If you don't pay your phone bill for your cell phone, boom, they're going to shut off the the cell phone. You don't make your car payment, your car is going to get repossessed. But you can continue to not pay your utility bills without any sort of consequence. And what happens is lots of people do it, and then by the time the moratorium ends, you're in a situation where you're so far in arrears that for many people, it's it's just difficult to, to dig out. I mean, if you go six months without paying a utility bill, that adds up and it adds up and it adds up. And finally, you've got this lump sum payment that you're not going to be able to make. Well, now that that's gone on. It's not just April, but you've had April, you've had May, you've had June, you've had a good portion of July. So you have people who theoretically haven't made a payment since November, since early November. And they're continuing to, again, run up these utility bills, bills that, number one, they're never going to be able to pay in all likelihood. And number two, that the rest of us are going to have to pay as a result of other people not. Now, the the deal is utilities don't want to turn people's electricity off. They don't want to turn people's gas off. What they want to do is they want to get their money. Right, that, that's what they're all about. So if you reach out and you contact the utility and you work out a, a repayment plan, they'll, they'll work with you. Now, now, admittedly, you know, if you're, if you're way far behind and you're really in arrears, some of those repayment plans are kind of tough to make. 
but nevertheless, they'll work with you. And as long as you're willing to give them a call and sign up and, and try to at least show some effort to clear up your back due balance, they're not going to shut it off. They, they, they won't do that. But you've got to make that effort, and you have to start paying something on your bill. Well, the story in the Madison paper today is Madison Mayor Others call for moratorium as thousands face utility shutoff on Friday. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. There is no such thing as a free lunch. And I don't think there can be anything such as a free gas and electric. And, and that's the point that you are, that you're getting at. Now, if people have lost their jobs, keep in mind, you know, over the course of, of the last several months, you've had state unemployment, you've had the federal government that has supplemented that unemployment to the tune of $600 a week, resulting in some people making more by not working than they do by by working. You've had federal stimulus checks of, what, $1,200 that were sent to a number of people. And you have a utility company and utility companies across the state, like I say, that want to work with people. I'm sorry, I don't mean to sound heartless about this, but I don't think you can allow this to continue. People need to start contacting the utilities. People need to start work out working out payment plans. And if you don't, the utility, I think, has no choice but to shut off the gas, shut off the electric. Otherwise, what you have is you have people who just end up freeloading and the rest of the utility payers, you know, people who you know, in many cases are struggling themselves, but they're doing their best that they can to keep up with their bills, they end up having to pay the costs and increase utility bills for the people that are just blowing off their obligation. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's start with Mark in Fredonia. Mark, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi. Good afternoon. Uh, normally, I agree with you. I've been a long time listener, but in this case, we have to go on a case by case basis. Um, with all the people that are still awaiting their first unemployment check, there are more people that have not received any unemployment yet then there are people pending to be shut off for the utilities. And I'm part of the Facebook group. My wife waited over. Uh, the support mm-hmm. group for unemployed people. My wife waited over a hundred days mm-hmm. before she got her first check. So it is heartbreaking out there. There are people that are that are being evicted, that are living in their car with kids that are not getting the funds that they need and they're losing everything that they've saved for. Even people that have had nest eggs and money in the bank. And and I Mark uh, and I, I think that's on. a fair comment, but at the same time and, and, and you're right, there is an unacceptably high number of people who still haven't had their unemployment stuff processed. And I I don't disagree with that at all. But there's also a, a lot of people who have gotten their benefits, who are getting that $600 a week extra, um, who, who got the $1,200 a piece, you know, stimulus checks that were back and, and chose not to make the payments. And I guess uh, that, that's my point. What will happen, the utilities will work with you, but you have to sit and right. you have to make that phone call. So I guess I, I, I don't, I don't, I guess if, if you have somebody who's still waiting for their unemployment, you, you pick up the phone, you call the utility, you explain the situation, and my guess is they'll continue it. But if you don't, um, or you've spent that money on something else, I, I guess that that's the situation. I just don't think you can, in a blanket fashion, continue the moratorium. 
Yeah, I think communication is key. You're right on that. But for the people, yeah, you got to make the effort. Right. Um, but again, it's a it's a tragic one out there for these people that haven't gotten it. So oh thanks. Have, no, no, thanks for calling. Mark. And, and by the way, I, I and look, I, I I understand this is you're talking to somebody who who rails regularly on the failure of the state to process unemployment claims, and they're still saying for a lot of people. They've gotten rid of the backlog, but there's still, what, a couple hundred thousand in, in that range who, for some reason, have gotten caught up in the system, and they might not get through those till October. So, I mean, I understand that there might be an individual circumstance that says, hey, I, I'm, I'm owed thousands and thousands of dollars, and that's what I was going to use to, to pay you back. Oh, okay, you pick up the phone, you, you call, you work out the payment plan, you explain your situation, and like I say, the utilities the, the utilities, they, they want to work it out. They, they want to ultimately figure out how to get the, their money. By disconnecting you, that pretty much ends that effort. But I do think it's reasonable to say to people, look, you, you got to, you got to call. And I, I understand what you're talking about, Mark, that the situation where you, you have the people who've been screwed over by the state and haven't gotten their assistance. But I don't know what kind of subset that is among the universe of, of people who Again, just have made the decision that they're they're not going to pay the utility bills, and this happens every, every year. And again, it goes back to what I was talking about. You know, we have a system. I understand why it exists, where people you, you prioritize things, and the utility bills become a low priority because people know you cannot be shut off. But at the same time, unless we're in the business now of saying that that we're going to just provide free utility services. And there is no such thing as a free utility service. You know, people who have the ability to pay, who choose not to pay, what ends up happening is all the rest of the ratepayers have to make that up. And we wouldn't expect, we wouldn't expect, you know, your local grocer to just give people, you know, food and not expect to be paid for that for months and months and months and then continue to give people food. We, we just don't expect that to, to happen. And I guess that's my point. If you're due to be turned off, what you got to do is you got to pick up the phone. You've got to make that call. You've got to work something out. The utilities will work with you. Um, let's talk to Steve on the north side. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Hey, um, I just wanted to say that when I was 19 or 20, living in my first apartment, I intentionally didn't pay my utilities during the winter months. Sure. Because I didn't have to. And it all came due on one day. They turned my power off. I've never made that mistake in my life before. Right. Right. And, and, my, uh, and my guess is, you know, that I was saying earlier, if you go month after month after month not paying it, by the time that six months or the nine months expires, <laughs> you've got this huge nut that you've got to pay. And it's if you had if you decided not to pay the 250 bucks a month, how in the world are you going to pay the 2000 when it comes due? Yeah. And, you know, I jumped through a lot of hoops to do it. But over the last six months, you know, you could have called the electric company and say, this is my situation. It's not right. Let's call them now and tell them I got no money and I'm not working. You know, right. It's, uh, yeah. Electricity and gas really, it's a luxury. It's not a privilege. Well, I mean, thanks. Um, I mean, that's why you pay for it. Well, right. I mean, it's, 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 
it's not it's not a privilege. I don't know that I'd say it's a privilege. I don't know that it's a luxury. It, it's a necessity, but that doesn't mean just because it's a necessity, it doesn't mean that you don't have an obligation to pay for things. And I guess for everybody who says, oh, this, this is so heartless, I'd be curious to know the people who've decided and made the conscious decision not to pay their utility bills, what, what are some of the things that they've spent their money on? Did, were, were they were they were they paying money for internet service? Were they paying money for cell phone service? Do you have cable TV? All those different types of things. And I appreciate that individual circumstances are are going to be different. And I'm sure that there were some people who made the decision that they that they who legitimately were not in a position to pay. At which point in time, I think this moratorium has, has been a godsend for them, and that's fine. But it but it's got to end at some point in time unless we are ready to say to. Well, I think they say there's like in the neighborhood of 70,000 households that, that are behind um, or eligible for disconnection, unless we're just going to suddenly say that all the other people who've been paying their bills over the course, or at least making some payment on their bills, that all those other people, many of whom are probably in difficult financial situations themselves, that they're now going to have to pay more because other people made the decision not to pay. All I am saying is it's time to end the moratorium. And people, if you're looking at having your utilities turned off, what you have to do is you have to get on that cell phone and you have to call the utility company and explain your situation to them. And if the situation is, hey, I'm eligible for unemployment, I, I'm just going to be getting $1,000 a week. I've been unemployed since March um, and I, I can't make the payments, but I'm expecting more. Okay, work with them. Now, it, again, if you haven't been paying since November and now it's July, I understand you probably got a pretty huge basis of arrears, but you know, that's a decision you made. You've got to work it out. It's not reasonable to expect the other ratepayers to pay for at least everybody. And if you remove the threat of disconnection and you continue the moratorium, all you do is give people a further excuse not to try to make arrangements. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. We live in genuinely strange times. The city of Milwaukee is is under siege from a, a record wave of, of violence. Uh, the, the numbers are, and, and this can't be understated, the, the, we're, if the pace continues, you're going to have to go back to 1991, which was the Dahmer year, to find a, a comparable number of homicides in, in the city of Milwaukee. And, and I mean, I don't know why it's going on, but you have people that are acting out. They're killing other people. On top of that, the number of shootings are through the roof as well. And as I always say, homicides is kind of a bad indicator of violence because anytime there's a shooting, it, it could easily lead to a homicide. And it's a lot of times, but for the grace of God, that, that it doesn't. So it, it, it's you, you look at the shootings, you look at the unprecedented levels of violence that are going on here, and then you look at all the other issues that are going on. Now, we do not have as much a pro of a problem with the protests as they do in, say, Portland or they do in Seattle, but you had instances where you had protests that got out of control, resulted in looting and arson and various, various other forms of misconduct. And then you've got the overriding other problems of crime in the city, the, the carjackings and the things of, of the like. You have, in my opinion, a police chief who he's from here. 
He understands the community. He's been with the Milwaukee Police Department for 25 years, and he understands that you cannot allow the city to be just completely turned over to lawlessness. Right, you have a handful of members of the Milwaukee Common Council who have an agenda that's partly based on race. They don't like the chief. Let's just be honest. They don't like the chief because he is Mexican-American as opposed to, say, a black police chief. So there is animosity in that regard. You have members of the Common Council who've decided that they want to partner up with some of the elements in the community, the, these vocal anti-police social justice organizations and some political officials decided that for whatever reason instead of standing up to the tax-paying law-abiding citizens of milwaukee they want to side with some of the these groups that are trying to bring about a revolution whatever the heck that means so you have a handful of members of the common council that that want the chief gone you have the fire and police commission which if you I don't want to I don't think you can understate this. If you look up the term dumpster fire in the dictionary, you are going to see a collective p- picture of the Fire and Police Commission. There is an editorial. Now, the Journal Sentinel doesn't write editorials anymore as a general rule. They've got an editorial in today's paper. Stephen DeVogus, he's the the head of the Fire and Police Commission who's just got ethical problems out the, the wazoo. Stephen DeVogus has failed Milwaukee's Fire and Police Commission. He needs to go. If Stephen DeVogus won't resign as chairman of the Milwaukee's, of Milwaukee's flailing Fire and Police Commission, the Common Council should do its duty and find a way to remove him immediately. Mayor Tom Barrett, who appointed DeVogus, says he can't fire him. He should do his duty and publicly call for the chairman's removal now. And then it goes on extensively to detail all the different you know issues that DeVogus faces. And, uh, again, some of his actions that, in my opinion, if they aren't ethical violations, they certainly should have been. But here's how here's how the editorial concludes. The last thing DeVogus should be allowed by city leaders to do at this point is exactly what he did do this week. Give new directives to the Milwaukee Police Department. Instead, DeVogus should be immediately removed from the commission. The Common Council, which is given... Um, this developer, they talk about the situation. Haywood's company, millions in taxpayer-backed loans, should do its duty and find a way to end any authority DeVogus has over police matters at once. And the mayor, who appointed DeVogus, should call for his removal and nominate his replacement for council approval. What are they waiting for? And then they have the contact information, the phone number for Tom Barrett, his email, the contact information for the Common Council president. But the Journal Sentinel making the point that at this point in time, to have this fire and police commission that that is just the absolute dumpster fire setting up the police chief for for failure issuing all sorts of directives and orders which frankly are going to be almost impossible to comply with so that they can find a basis for trying to fire him for cause so they don't have to pay him the remaining three or four years on his contract well, well good luck with that but the bigger point is you know, Milwaukee is a turning point here, and, and I think you need experienced leadership. 
you need law enforcement that's willing to stand up and say, you know, we're not going to be, we're not going to blow in the wind. We are not going to allow ourselves to be impacted by the force of political correctness. We're not going to turn the streets over to the looters and the rioters and the anarchists. What we're going to do is we're going to try to go about enforcing the laws. And that isn't to say that the Milwaukee Police Department is perfect. Lord knows no urban police department it is. And it's not to say that Al Morales, the police chief, hasn't, you know, made mistakes along the way. But you have the first police chief in decades that has the complete support and backing of the police union because they recognize he's one of them. They recognize he's a guy who's all about law and order and is going to have their backs especially against some of these people on the Common Council and the Fire and Police Commission that, again, have decided they want to side with some of the the loudest voices in the community against the interest of the larger community. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I, I think it is way past time for that silent majority of people that are out there in the community who recognize what's going on, that the people who aren't, that you're, you're busy with your life, you're, you're working, you know, you, you've got a job, you've got a family you're taking care of, you don't have the time or the energy to go out and, and stand and, and, and wave a, a sign saying defund the police department. You, you don't have the, the time or the energy to, to go out and say, okay, we're, we're going to stage this particular protest, or we're going to show up at this meeting, and we're going to scream, and we're going to demand that, that, he, that the chief be fired. I, I think it's time, and like I say, STC, save the chief. And one of the most disappointing parts of this whole thing is that Tom Barrett, just reelected what I guess is going to be his final term. I mean, he, he's just been absent. You know, the, the, John McCure interviewed Chief Morales yesterday, and the, the question was, well, have you talked to the mayor about any of this? Does he reach out to you? And the chief hemmed and hawed and then kind of, well, you know, I, I'd, I'd rather not comment on that now. I'll tell you, the answer is no. You know, Barrett's on the milk carton or Barrett's out there, you know, with his finger in the, the breeze trying to see which way the wind is blowing and, and, you know, who do I side with, the forces of law and order, the people that want to control the city of Milwaukee and the streets, or do I say, okay, well, I'm, I'm just going to give in. I'm going to, you know, I, I want to just, I'll go along with the radicals. I'll go along with the, the pro-criminal elements of the community uh, because I, I don't want to rock the boat. Way past time, it's three letters, save the chief. And, and it starts with Barrett. Where is the mayor? I, I mean, on so many of these issues, if Tom Barrett didn't want to lead, he shouldn't have run for re-election. I'm sure he's got government pensions that will cover him you know, through the, the rest of his time. If he didn't want to be a leader, if he didn't want to stand up, if he didn't want to talk about public safety and security if he didn't want to make it very clear where he stands and hopefully he'll be standing on the side of law and order but if he didn't want to do that he shouldn't have run for re-election 855-616-1620 that's the accident mortgage talk and text line think if at this if this fire and police commission in particular gets its way and is able to force chief morales out i think it will be disgraceful And I think it will be incredibly bad news for anybody who wants to live in the city of Milwaukee or wants to operate a business in the city of Milwaukee. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I tell you this this sincerely. I, I think the city of Milwaukee is really at a at a crossroads now. And, and maybe it's been brought to a head by the social justice protest coupled with, you know, everything that's going on with, with the pandemic. But you have you have elements of this community that are seizing on this as an opportunity to try to bring about revolution in, in the community. And I don't believe that is where the vast majority of people who live around here are. I, I think the vast majority of people, while recognizing that just like just like any government agency, you, you, you can always do better with police. But but this idea that we, we don't want law and order, this idea that, oh, my gosh, they use tear gas. We'll talk about this later in the program. They use tear gas to disperse people who were deciding that they were going to storm the freeway and walk down the freeway. Oh, my goodness. They, they use tear gas or th- this whole idea that, my, my gosh, you know, that they, they tried to stop us from writing defense fund the police on three city blocks in downtown Milwaukee. There, there is a very, very vocal, but I believe percentage-wise, it's a, it's a minority, and I think it's a relatively small minority of, of the community that is seeing this all going on. But they're loud. They're, they're loud. They have the ear of some politicians who've decided that this is, they want to hitch their their star to this particular wagon at at this point in time. Um, I, I think as time goes on, that's going to be proven to be a very bad decision. You have a, a mayor who just is apparently punched out. I mean, it's just amazing to me that it, with a city in crisis, you, you have Tom Barrett, who's not doing anything. Uh, you know, the police chief, like I said, I don't think they've had any sort of meaningful conversation in, in a while. Um, you've got you know this whole mess with the head of the Fire and Police Commission, who, again, it, the Fire and Police Commission, at this point in time, it's its history, is the very last entity that should be issuing any sort of directives to the, the chief. They need to get their house in order first. And to the extent that there's been some, like, weird, you know, backroom boardroom deals cut um, between certain segments of the common council that will support you if you do this or whatever it's just it's got to stop it's got to stop and it starts with leadership from the mayor who like i say i i don't understand if he didn't want to lead what why why run for another term in in office i mean this is the starting point the mayor should be out there up front saying i support this police chief and, you know, I'm going to, by the way, the mayor has the authority to overrule some of these ridiculous directives that came out from the Fire and Police Commission. Mayor has the authority to do that. Well, you're, you're not hearing anything from him. But if the mayor wants the police chief gone, okay, then he should at least take that step, have the guts to come out and say, okay, I want him gone. And, and this is this is why. All right, let's talk to Bernard in Milwaukee. You're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Uh, calling in to say that. You started off your segment talking about how bad the homicide rate is in Milwaukee yes. and how crime, shootings, and all these things are a direct indication of our police chief. If they won't and they see a problem with the things that's going on in the city and they're trying to identify it, corrective, he needs to have directives. It doesn't have to be some type of side agenda. It's just what the numbers show. Why do you think it's the so you would lay these homicide numbers at the foot of the police chief? Absolutely. Why? Absolutely. Why? Because 
corrective measures need to be put in place on how do you bring these things down? How do you get a wrangle on them? You said he's a law and order police or yep. a police chief, right? I do. So he is. He puts in place law and order measures to get these things in place. Have you it's seen the, the directives? Not well, no, Bernard, have you seen the directives that the Fire and Police Commission is coming Absolutely. out with? It's Absolutely. the it's the farthest Absolutely. thing from law and order. It's it's stand down. Don't don't engage in these type of things. Don't use tear gas to disperse crowds. It's it's the farthest thing from law and order. They're going the complete opposite direction. So so you think the protesters are are the reason why the homicide rate is what it is? I, I didn't say that at all. Didn't I? You didn't say that. it at all? No, no I didn't. Said, I, don't throw tear gas. You bought a tear gas. Yeah, I, I did because that's one of the directives. That that is one of the directives that they issued. Don't use tear gas to disperse protesters, which I think is crazy. I mean, if you've got the people numbers. that are rioting, but that that has nothing to do with homicides. I didn't say that at all. Don't put words in my mouth. If I'm questioning is why do you think that the homicide rate is tied to the police chief? And and trust me. That I will tell you, this police chief would love to have more cops to be able to put on the streets to flood some of the high crime areas, but but he doesn't have those resources. No, they've they've tied his hands. Now, listen, you can make the excuse that they've tied his hands. Yeah, but with what the resources that he has needs to be used in a manner that brings down the traffic, that brings down the homicides, that makes a difference. In this area that you call a cesspool every day that you get on the radio. I don't know that I've ever used the word cesspool, but Bernard, I mean, why? Okay, Bernard, do you think, do you think the fire and police, that you think the fire and police commission's directives are to be interpreted as a way of saying get tougher on crime, Chief Morales? You you seem to suggest their directives seem to suggest that they want to hire a black person. And I don't, well, the directives have point. nothing. To, the directives have nothing to do with that. That's what I think. The word is that for some of the aldermen on the common council who are trying to force him out. Yes, there is a racial component to this. Yeah, I think so. I, I, I mean, we we can go around and round on this. But if you think that those directives are saying, Chief Morales, we want you to be tougher on crime, I'm telling you. Um, don't hurt yourself when you fall off the turnip truck so you don't break something. I mean, this, I, I and again, I, I don't think the police chief is responsible one way or the other for the crime problem. But yes, he, his hands have been tied with regard to the number of people that he's been allowed to have, with regard to some units that have been disbanded. And y- yeah, he, he can't end up doing that. But my point of this is, I think he's done a very, very good job under difficult sort of circumstances. And I I think, you know, we have a decision to make here, which is, are we going to turn the city over to the people who decide that they that, you know, we're we're not going to be aggressive when it comes to people who are looting or burning or things of of the like? I mean, I think, you know, this is the situation where. It's time to stand up and say, look, we, we like the job that Morales is doing, and we want him to be able to finish that job that he ended up starting. Let's take a quick break back with more in just a minute. 
And this is Jeff Wagner. Here's a text. Jeff, it seems counterintuitive to give the police chief all these directives. And what we really need to happen is for the chief not to be bogged down with the political side of things and allow the police and the police chief to try to do their job. The two-year-old girl who was shot the day before yesterday was less than a mile from my home. Hearing this breaks my heart, makes me wonder whether I'm safe. Lucy on the west side. Hi, Lucy. Hi. Um... I want to talk about the bigger issues. If I was queen for a day, I'd fire them all and start over. But what I did want to say is I don't think the police are responsible for the homicide rate. The carnage hackings was a different issue because they wouldn't have the no chase policy. And I think that the Common Council, not the Common Council, the FTC actually got it right when they told Flynn he had to change his policy. And so what did he do? He quit. Right. And that's how we got Morales, and Barrett never wanted Morales, and he was snuck in, and Barrett fired Mary Nell Reagan, and now we are where we are. And like I said, I think there's plenty of blame to go around on both sides. I don't want the mob running the police department, but I don't want the police union running the police department either. But back to the issue I called about. The police don't control the homicide rate. I really think that what's going on is the incredible economic distress that people don't see in the community and the crazy making of the coronavirus. Um, yeah, I'm, and Lucy, I'm, I'm sorry, you're... Economically you're... Yeah, I'm sorry. Your your cell phone's cutting out. But I but I by the way, I I agree with an element of this. I I had a conversation with a high ranking police official the other day, and we were talking about the coronavirus impact. And one of the things they were telling me is that that, that right now the courts are pretty much shut down. The DA's office is pretty much shut down, and they were telling me that they're, they're they're these burglars. They know who they are. They're operating these massive burglary rings. They catch them. And they can't get them charged that because of coronavirus and concerns about putting people in jail and detaining them, that there it's really it is a catch and release policy. And I've been trying to get people in various news to rediscover the road and help your fellow commuters report accidents and slow downs to the hall. Milwaukee.com traffic tip line at 414-203-8100. The WTMJ five-day forecast this afternoon. We'll see partly to mostly cloudy skies with a few very isolated light rain showers. A cool day for us with high temperature readings into the mid and upper 70s. Overnight tonight, the weather will be quiet and mild with lows into the low 60s. Friday, we'll warm things up a little bit with highs back around 80, a mix of sun and clouds. Saturday, we're into the mid-80s. We'll still see some sunshine and largely dry weather. Sunday, we're up around 90, a lot more humidity for the weekend as well. Sunday, we're also going to watch for some scattered showers and thunderstorms. Monday, a little cooler, highs back down into the low 80s with a chance for a few showers. I'm meteorologist Kristen Kershane with the Storm Team forecast on WTMJ. Right now in Addison, it's 75 degrees. In Green Bay, 74. Waukesha, 72. And in Milwaukee, we're at 73 degrees. Community spread is bad when it comes to the pandemic, but good for sharing the news that matters. Become a carrier of the good kind with the WTMJ mobile app. I'm Melissa Barclay, News Radio, WTMJ. 
Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Melissa, if we pull back the curtain, for people who wonder what we talk about, like during the newscast <laughs> yes. and stuff, and maybe some people think about it's the development, current developments of the day or whatever. No, we were talking about recurring dreams. Recurring dreams. And I, you asked me if I had one, and I said, yeah, I have a couple. Last night I woke up and I was writing news in my sleep. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's not like a horrible one, but I was exhausted when I woke up. I was trying to think of... Um, again, pulling the curtain behind, writing news teases right, for the afternoon show, yeah, sure, yeah. teasing for the next element. And I woke up and I'm just exhausted and I'm like, wait, I'm still, I'm right. still sleeping. Yeah. That's right. So, I, I don't have to be at work. No. Do, do you have any, do you have any recurring dreams? Are you young? And, you, you might be too young to have that. It might be something that you, we develop over time. Yeah. I can't really say that I've had any lately. Yeah. Nothing that comes to mind. Um, yeah, nothing. I, no. Oh no, but I I, yeah. I I do my recurring dream and it's it's always a variation of this, but I'm back in college and I either haven't I, in one in one version of this is there there's a there's a test I have to take to pass a particular course and I'm I'm late or I've blown it off or I haven't studied for it and what's going to happen is I'm not going to pass the course so I'm going to flunk out of college and they're going to come out and they're going to take my law degree away and it just it's like it, it just goes downhill it, right it just yeah. it, it's all it, it's like okay you're, they're going to take that and then the other variation of that I is, think it's a very common you, one now you, you haven't been going to college cl- it's again it's set in college mm-hmm. you haven't been going to classes so you don't have enough credits to graduate they're going to find this out and they're going to take away your law degree and they're going to you know you won't have been able to practice law and but it's all variations sure. of that but it sounds so re- it, it yeah I, I have the I mean, not every night, but I no, do have like, it from time yeah, to time. From, from yeah. time to time. I had, I had one um, a while ago, probably six months, probably to a year ago. It was where I was screaming in my dream and nothing was coming out. And we talked to, on the afternoon show, some dream psychologist. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> and I know you're rolling your eyes, no. but she said that I'm... I'm not saying something I need to say, and that's why nothing's coming I, out. I, 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 there was something I needed to tell someone. Well, well I, 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 I wasn't. I wasn't rolling your eyes at the dream oh, psychologist okay. <laughs> necessarily. Maybe right. a little bit, but it's just kind of like I, there's just not enough couch time. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I just. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't need that much self analysis. I'm. I'm perfectly comfortable with occasionally having this dream <laughs> that I wake up from saying, "Oh, that's right. I. I don't have to go to that political like a, science class a or whatever." Preparation thing. I yeah. think it's interesting that yours takes place in either a real or like local place like it happens here in milwaukee or like on the university campus what about you like i always feel like i'm in a different climate Mm. you know like i'll either be on like some desert island or something or i'll be in like the the rainforest i don't (laughs) know like i'm never i'm not in wisconsin usually oh oh, no mine are mine are real real what what, what's got started on this is melissa was telling me the story and she said i mean do you do you have do you have work Dreams, you know, or the recurring, and I, I really, I, I, I don't. I sleep like a baby, you know. It's just, but, <laughs> yeah. no, but no, I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. it's kind of, you know, I do. I don't wake up saying, "Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm late for the commercials or yeah. whatever." What are you going to have to talk about? I just that that's, and to that extent, my, my psyche is clear for the last twenty some years. You know, it's funny uh, when you're doing news. One of your personal nightmares would be having the newscast not come up when it's time to do all it. Right, right. I had that happen once on your show. <laughs> And it was like this nightmare come to life. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> I don't think that's ever happened since, but I remember that very clearly, Jeff. Oh, oh well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I was it's like, well, hang on a second here. But, but generally speaking, if that's the worst thing that happens, yeah. you kind of recognize that, oh, okay. But 
no, it was sort of interesting. Yeah. Anyways, that's what we were talking mm-hmm. about during the break. It was the whole idea of recurring dreams. All right. Let us move on. The cancel culture gets ready to eat its own. Um, I, I've, uh, Abraham Lincoln, of course, has somehow become controversial because Abraham Lincoln, despite his his commitment to preserve the Union, signing the Emancipation Proclamation, eradicating slavery, you now have some segments of society, admittedly some small, loud voices, who are saying we're going to need to take down we we need to take down the the statue of Abraham Lincoln on Bascom Hill in Madison. We need to get rid of the Lincoln Memorial because, well, uh, Abraham Lincoln was a product of his times, and even though he did all these things, he he also it was clear that he viewed, for example, blacks as second class citizens or things of, of the like. So you have that. You have a push in Wauwatosa to get rid of elementary school names that honor Jefferson L. Jefferson or or Washington because you know they they own slaves. So despite everything they did as founders of the country, you know we they they were products of their time and they did things that we don't find to be acceptable by the standards of 2020 so we need to judge them and we need to eradicate them from history or at least certainly not honor them Here, here's another story and a matter of fact i, I sent this out if you follow me on twitter it, it's at jeff wagner 620 um john muir don't know i don't know if you know the background john muir was born in scotland in 1838 so we're we're going back, you know, 180, 180 years. Okay, so that that's the the perspective of this. Um, his family moved to the United States when he was eleven, and he settled on a farm near near Portage in in Wisconsin. Um, as a as a boy, he developed this real love for nature and the outdoors. And, you know, he enrolled at the University of Wisconsin in 1860, but then decided, you know, he wasn't going to stay in Wisconsin, and he left, and and he roamed around the the country. And he eventually settled in California, and he he wrote dozens of books about his travels. He was was a naturalist. He was a guy who loved the, the great outdoors. And he was one of the driving forces in creating the the National Park system um including yosemite and sequoia and, and grant the grand canyon he was the founder or one of the founders of the sierra club and of course this was the, so he, he's a very very prominent naturalist environmentalist etc so the sierra club was founded in 19, 1892 he served as its president until his death in in 19 14. And, and so, again, matter of fact, the, uh, the, the Wisconsin chapter of the Sierra Club is named after John Muir. All right. Now, again, we're, we're going back. He was born 180 years ago, ballpark or so. And he was a product of his times. And I think everybody acknowledges that, especially from the perspective of, of the environment and, and bringing this to issues like that to a head, that the guy was just was a giant. Just an absolute giant. But now, as often happens, people are starting to like poke into his background. And the Sierra Club actually you know, had a piece that was published on their website and also a big story in the Los Angeles Times. I sent out a link to it on, on my Twitter account at Jeff Wagner 620. But, but what they, they did is, is they went back and they started looking at some of 
his writings from the late 1800s. And what they found is that he, again, was a product of his times. He, he made derogatory comments about black people. And particularly, you know, early on in his career, he, he made derogatory remarks about Native Americans, indigenous people. Um, that, that, as they describe it, drew on racist stereotypes. And then they say, but, but, you know, his views evolved over time. But, um, yeah, if, if you go back and you look at some of the things that the guy might have wrote about or said in 1850 or, or 1860, and I'm, I'm not going to repeat some of them, but, but it's clear that he is, I, I think was perhaps a product of, of his time. Um, and in particular, when it came to preserving the the environment and protecting like national parks and lands, he was all in favor of of moving Native Americans off off those spaces. Um, so it's a complex complex background, and the guy was a product of his time. the The cancel culture is now out in full force, and there is a movement to say, okay, we, we've we've got to we've got to erase John Muir because of because of the things that he might have said and might have done in 1860 or 1870, despite all the great things he did, founding these organizations, etc., we, we can't continue to honor him. We, we can't name the Sierra Club's Wisconsin chapter after John Muir. We, we have to acknowledge this and, and just move on. We, we need to cancel him. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, to me, this is the latest example of the cancel culture run amok. People are complex. People are products of their times. And, and I understand stuff that you, you, you in, it's stuff in 2020 that, that you can say or do, I think has to be viewed differently than something that someone does, says in, in 1860 or 1870. And, and it doesn't, it doesn't make it, you know, right that they said it in 1860 or 1870 or, or whatever. But at the same time, it was a different world then. For better or for worse, and in the case of some of these attitudes, definitely for worse. But but do we need to erase people from from history because George Washington owned slaves, or Abraham Lincoln on the campaign trail, you know, made some disparaging remarks towards blacks, or because John Muir was you know had had no respect and no thought for for particularly Native Americans? All right, eight five five six one six one six twenty. Can't we just recognize that that people? All of us are complex and that, you know, you have to understand this greater good that's done. And we can't fairly look back at somebody through the prism of of a 2020 viewpoint and say, oh, my gosh, what a terrible person this was in 1865. We should have condemned them then. 855-616-1620. How far does this go? We discuss in a moment. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Lou in West Dallas sends me a text firmly tongue-in-cheek. Jeff, why are you so backwards? Join us in the progressive movement to erase all these historical figures and namesakes and rename them after the likes of socially acceptable pioneers like Kanye West because he's never used a racial slur. <laughs> that's, that's kind of it. Jeff, 
Let's call them, quote, the woods formerly named for America's first naturalist whom we have dishonored due to our changing perceptions. Well, you've got an element from there. Jeff, what happens if 100 years from now abortion is no longer appreciated, is in fact illegal? Does that mean that all the previous generations and descendants should be crucified or ostracized or punished because their ancestors did not oppose abortion? You know, what works today might not work for future generations. And, and I guess that's it. I People are complex. And, and this idea that we, you know, we, we, we have to, we can't honor Abraham Lincoln or we can't honor George Washington or Thomas Jefferson because of things that they were did, that they did that were products of their times. Or in this case, we're talking that the founder of, of the conservation movement in the United States, who, uh, again, complex history, or especially, again, when it comes to Native Americans. But nevertheless, does that mean that you can't recognize and and honor his achievements? Vincent on the Northwest Side. Vincent, bring some common sense to this conversation. <laughs> I don't know. If I, I, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, I'm not going to bring too much common sense today. But the fact is, is that it's easy to say the ends justify the mean, means when you benefit from it. When an individual was a part of basically creating a genocide against the, against the Native Americans in this country, the fact is he needs to be exposed. I'm not saying you need to erase him from history. I don't think anybody needs to be erased from history. Mm-hmm. The fact is I think we need to learn from those things and hopefully become a better people. But the fact is you need to understand that these, if these folks were flawed, yep. why they were flawed. If they, if, 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 if George Washington, you know, was the father of this country, the fact is he was the father of something, but the fact is he was a slave owner. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and he, and he deemed certain human beings in this country as being less, less, less than human. And so we need to understand this. You, you, you just can't erase, you can't, you can't, if you say don't erase history on one end, you can't erase history on the bad end as well. Well, no, and I don't, I don't think anybody's arguing that you need to whitewash things and, and, and pretend that, that, and pretend that in the case of, of John Muir, apparently, I mean, he had these writings. These were some of the things he said. I guess my point would be, though, that, that because he, he wrote things that you and I, or we would agree by contemporary standards, were, were offensive. That doesn't mean that you can't recognize him for, again, as the founder of the conservation movement. And it doesn't mean that you have to take his name off of, you know, Woodlands or, or the Sierra Club or whatever. You just have to recognize, to your point, okay, the guy was a complex, he was complex, you know, this is what the legacy is, but let's still recognize him for the things that he accomplished. But but you have to recognize him, basically because the, the reason why he was a father of conservation and everything else. But he was he dis, he he did this on the backs of destroying destroying Native Native Americans. Mm-hmm. And so and so if you don't if you don't put that in context, that yeah he he did this yeah he 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 was a father of, of conservation and and creating all these particular uh, landscapes whatever he did. The fact is, he did this on destroying people in this country. Okay, so does the and, Sierra and, and Club then need to be a does part the, of his legacy as well? Well, that, that's fine. Does the Sierra Club need to remove his name from from its masthead? Do we need to, you know, change the name of of all the, the anything in this country that that honors him? Do we need to remove his name from that because of again his his complex background? No, you don't have to remove his name from everything. It's up to that particular organization if they want to or not. But no, I don't think we need to do that. But the point is, you need to point out the good with the bad, and you need to understand that he needs to stand on that 
and to stand on that and see where people people put him in history. Well, and I don't think so. Stephen said, and I don't, I don't object to that. I mean, I, I think I, that that's where I go back to saying, okay, pe- people are complex. Yes, I mean, a Abraham Lincoln, who generally, I mean, signed the Emancipation Proclamation, fought the Civil War in large measure, not exclusively, but in large measure to you know end slavery in the country. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I, I think he deserves to be recognized for that. Now, you can also go back and say, well. He had some, you know, hostile things or demeaning things to say about, uh, you know, blacks during various campaigns. I, I understand that as well, but it doesn't change to me. It might add a layer to the Abraham Lincoln legacy, but it doesn't mean that you take down the Abraham Lincoln monuments. It's just that you recognize that people are, as we were talking about, products of their time. And in some of those cases, that, that means that there, there's going to be a complex history. And my guess is, you know, you're, you're going to see a pendulum swing back. You're, you're going to see what is politically correct and acceptable now. I don't know, maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, positions that we're taking on certain things are going to be found to be unacceptable by future generations. It, it's just, it's the way of the world that keeps evolving. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. No, 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 Mr. President, it is a mistake. Do not do this. Uh, the breaking news is the Trump administration is announcing today that they plan to send federal law enforcement agencies to Detroit, Cleveland, and Milwaukee in the coming weeks. This will expand their, their operation um that's part of their, their battle to combat rising crime under a law and order push. Yesterday, they announced that they would send federal agents to Chicago and to Albuquerque. And of course, th- this comes on, on the heels of what's been going on in Portland, where you, you've had the federal agents that have been there. I, I can't underscore this enough. I, I think this is an enormous mistake, and the president needs to reconsider. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I, I first rolled this out a couple days ago, and I know you might disagree with me because I've gotten a lot of feedback on, on this. I think the decision to send federal troops to Portland was a mistake. It, it goes back to something I... I there's a story in the Wall Street Journal that called this the pottery barn theory, which is you broke it, you own it. The, the mayor of Port- Portland has been out of control. Fifty plus days uh, of, prem- of, of demonstrations, some of which have turned into riots. All right. The, the mayor of Portland has completely lost control of the city. But now you've got the federal authorities, the Homeland Security officers that are there ostensibly to to protect the, the federal building. But what's happened is they, they've been drawn in. Now they have become a target of the rioters and and things have, have escalated. My belief is, look, if, if this is the community, if the citizens of Portland want to allow the rioters to burn and loot and destroy that city, I, am I, I, I think you should let them. I mean, I say that sincerely because what's happened now in Portland is the the federal authorities have become the source, and, and now it's that that's the justification for going out and 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 rioting and doing these things, and it's now become an issue. Not is it okay to burn and loot, but rather. It's, well, this is the, the Trump administration doing this. My, my response all along has been, just let it burn. I mean, if, if the mayor wants help, 
all right, or the governor wants help, fine, you're, you're there. Your response is, we, we are here to help out. If you need help, I, I'm here. Just let me know. Same thing is true in Chicago. I mean, Chicago, you have mobs. Last week, you have um, rioters who showed up with, like, frozen water bottles and ambushed the police, ambushed them. 49 local police officers injured, 18 were hospitalized in, in Chicago. And yet you've got the, you've got the crazy mayor down there. She's saying, well, I, I just, I don't, I don't want a dictatorship. Well, okay, you don't want federal authorities there, then, then deal with it. But, but the, the idea of putting them in there against the will of the authorities, of the local authorities, to, to me, makes that the issue. As far as Milwaukee goes, as, as we talk about on this program on a regular basis, we, we, we have problems. There's huge problems with crime in, in Milwaukee. By and large, with a couple exceptions, I think that the protests have been under control. I don't think the Milwaukee Police Department has been unable to control things. And by bringing federal authorities to Milwaukee or to Chicago or, or to, again, Albuquerque or to Cleveland. I can't speak to Detroit. I, I can't speak to, to Cleveland, but I can speak to Milwaukee. And I think that at this point in time, it would be like throwing gasoline onto a, a, a simmering fire. Nothing good is going to come of this. Now, if Governor Evers decides that we, we need to have, you know, federal authorities. He, he has every ability and right to request them, at which point in time, I, if I were the, the president, I, I would say, yes, governor, I'm glad to help you out. If Mayor Barrett wants, you know, additional help and he wants to make that request either directly to the White House or through the governor, th- that's fine. You, you answer it. You say, I'm here. I'm ready to help out. But to send federal Homeland Security agents is what this essentially is into Milwaukee at this point in time. I think it's just a huge mistake. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. At least it's a mistake unless you are asked by local authorities. Let's start with Andrew in Germantown. Andrew, you're first. Hello. Hi, can you hear me okay? I can, sure. Right. Uh, My opinion is, this is an excellent decision by President Trump. Uh, the reason is, is because uh, Milwaukee's there have a, as you know, the, the crime is, is quite, quite high this year, especially the murder rate. And we need the city is not enforcing the law. They're not proactively policing. And that's what we need. We need a, a, a show of force. And I think that this is exactly what. Uh, this will this will show. OK, walk me through this. What 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 is the show of force going to look like? I, I have no idea. I am a truck driver, and that is above my pay grade. <laughs> All right, fair, fair, fair enough. I mean, I, I think. I, I mean, candidly, I, I think the la- the, the last. Uh, let's let's talk about Milwaukee, because, like I say, I, I can't speak. I, I'm I'm not in Chicago. I'm not in Portland. Somebody sent me a text saying, "Easy for you to say, let it burn." Well, no, I, you don't live there. Well, no, that that's my that's my point. It's the pottery barn theory. You broke it. You own it. Do I think it's acceptable to to allow that? No. But if if that's the position of the local authorities, if the mayor and the common council and the governor of their state and of the particular city decide that they're not going to control the rioters, to me. At that point in time, it's the people of the city that you start recalls. You you vote the 
people out of office or, or whatever. But, you know, you do, this idea that we're going to bring in federal authorities against the will of of the local agencies, that's where I think it's just a flat-out mistake. And by the way, that's exactly how it is playing out in Portland, where the the looters, the rioters, the anarchists, they're, they're, they're now viewed as this sympathetic figure standing up and fighting the, the federal government that's moving in here, where the argument should be, how can you let them do this in your community? But as far as like a show of force, I, I explain to me how it works. I, I don't I, I don't get it. Are you going to because now now here's what's going to happen. If you thought you had protests here before, as soon as those federal uh, authorities arrive, you're, you're going to have protests that are probably magnified by 10 times. And there's, there's going to be confrontations. I just I, I look at what's going on in Milwaukee and. You know, unless you're going to, you know, flood high crime areas of the city with federal agents who probably don't have much authority, if any, under the law, you know, what are you going to accomplish? Show a force? I don't, I don't see it. Rain in Greenfield, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, yeah, I mean, I pretty much agree with you there. I mean, that's what elections are for. The people that live there can decide what they want the future of their neighborhood to look like. And also, it's just kind of hypocrisy when Trump says, oh, it's up to the states as far as, like, the coronavirus and their testing. Oh, it's all on them. But when it comes to this, then he wants to get involved. So there's a little hypocrisy involved as well, I believe. But that's just my thought. Well, I mean, mean, is there a political element to this and, and, you know, positioning the president as being the guy who wants to restore law and order? I'm I'm sure there's an element to that. And again, I I want to be real clear here. the, The federal government does have a role, I guess, in trying to provide security and things like that. But if first and foremost... You know, we we don't have a federal police force. We, we we don't. And if if a mayor or a governor of a particular area doesn't want federal involvement, that that goes back to my you know you you broke it, you own it. it and yes, I, I I would be outraged if I lived in Portland right now or I ran a business in downtown Portland. I would be mad as you know what. And I would be doing everything I can to try to bring about change, to try to get rid of the Looney Tune mayor who's allowing the anarchists to run the street and get rid of anybody on the Common Council who's decided to side with the arsonists over, you know, law-abiding taxpayers, etc. But, but at the same time, again, when, when you move in and you bring in federal authorities when the local authorities don't want them, all you're doing is setting yourself up to make things worse. And again, I, our first caller, I appreciate it, says, I, I want to show a force. I don't know what that show of force is going to be. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't understand it. And if it's all about making people, making things worse, which it has a very light, I think it has a strong likelihood to do it, especially, like I say, in a city like Milwaukee, where the protests have, as a general rule, not been out of control. You had some bad nights the first couple nights, but I think in general, you haven't seen the problems that you saw in Seattle. You haven't seen the problems that you saw and see on a continuing basis in um, Minneapolis and in Seattle. I'm just afraid that now this is going to be like, again, a a mat, lighting a match, and and now we're going to see a worsening of the situation. If, If the authorities, if Evers wants federal help, he can ask for it. If Barrett wants federal help, he can ask for it. And, and he should feel fee, feel comfortable to do that. But sending 
federal authorities in in a large number where local authorities aren't asking for them, I think it's a recipe for disaster. We continue the conversation in just a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, and again, th- like the mayor of Chicago is skeptical about this. That the Trump administration says we're we're going to send we're going to send FBI agents and we're going to send DEA agents and we're going to send Homeland Security agents to um, again supplement local police departments and try to help them fight crime. But my point remains that that's not what's going on in Portland. And this is going to be a catalyst. And again, if the Milwaukee Police Department wants additional federal help, I think they have every right to ask for it. And if I'm the commander in chief, I'm there to provide them that help. But the last thing you want is more federal agents coming in, being perceived as an occupying force and making things worse. Let's talk to Joe in Appleton. Hi, Joe. You're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Um, to answer the first question, it would be, I would definitely um, back what Trump is doing. I was just kind of surprised it took this long. And the second question would be about the um, show of force. Um, I think that when you, when you see the show of force, you see what's been going on without the feds, and then you find out what's going to happen in the future, near future, hopefully, with them being there, that's a show of force. I mean, there definitely will be a show. Will it get, will it get um, more violent? There's a good stuff. I mean, I, I guess that's up to the people that are also causing the uh, violence right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I guess. I mean, I, look. I, I I'm a law and order guy. Don't 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 get me wrong. I I'm. I am a law and order guy. I'm the guy who sits here for three hours a day and and points at, at, at the out of control spiraling crime rate that that, that exists. And I, I'm a guy who believes in flooding the the streets with police and huge police presence in heavy criminal crime high crime areas. I believe that helps as a deterrent. I'm the guy that doesn't believe you can stand by and, and let people throw bricks at police officers or let people. You know, loot and burn stores and like what happened in Madison, where they just essentially stand down or what happened in Minneapolis or what happened in Seattle. So I I I, I, I want to have law and order. I also appreciate that the feds can provide a level of assistance. But at the same time, let's recognize that it, it's a flashpoint. What they're doing in Portland has made things worse not better. And I guess my concern is the issue if you bring added federal presence to Milwaukee without being asked by the mayor, if you bring it to Detroit without being asked by the mayor, Chicago, Albuquerque, whatever, all you end up doing is, again, enhancing these different flashpoints. And to to me, I would wait till I was asked and, and then I would be there. Um, let's talk to Dave in Appleton. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. I you. I mean, they, he, he has to stay away from it. And from the political end of it, he can just sit and run B-roll and run ads, you know, with the goofy mayor of Chicago and Portland and all that yeah. going, if you want this to stop, quit voting Democrats. You know, vote for Republicans in your city council, in your mayor, and you know, this is the time to turn this around. This is what you get when you vote for these Democratic lunatics. 
Well, I yeah, mean, there's, right there's from no, it's, yeah, it's from, a no-win situation. No, it, it isn't. No, thanks for calling. See, I, I, I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm trying not to view this from a political prism. Um, I'm, I'm rather trying to view it from a public safety prism. But, 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 yeah, that that's the whole "you broke it, you own it" sort of thing. You know, if 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 I'm the president, it's like I am I am deeply disturbed by what was allowed to happen in Seattle by local officials. I I I stand ready to help the law-abiding, tax-paying citizens of Seattle. And, and we're, we're here for you, but we're not going to force our, our way in. Portland, the, the same sort of thing. You're right. Run, run the B-roll footage of, of the people with the, the masks. And I'm talking about, like, the complete masks to conceal their identity. Run, run the things about the people in Chicago who show up with the, the frozen water bottles that they're throwing at the police and, and that they're using as weapons and say, I mean, to me, that that's the issue. Is this... Is this the type of community you want to live in? Is this the type of situation that you you know you want to you want to have a mayor who stands by and supports all this? I and mean, to me, that that's where the politics are, as opposed to what's playing out now in the national news on a nightly basis, which is oh the the, the president he's he's moved into Portland, Oregon, and, and looks what's what, what's happening. You've got the these federal agents who are in the camouflage, things like that, and they're they're using flash grenades and they're using using tear gas and and the issue becomes about that now again if the idea is we're, we're not going to have that type of presence what we're going to do is we're going to send more dea or atf agents as as a supplement to help the local police departments identify and fight crime okay that that's fine but still i think it should be something that comes from a request from the local authorities. Does the district attorney's office want them there? Does the fire and police commission want them there? Because for the last, I tell you, I just, I don't want to spend the next, I don't know, three weeks listening to news releases from Milwaukee aldermen or alderwomen or state reps or state senators denouncing or Congresswoman Glenn Moore or whoever denouncing the president's decision to offer law enforcement help to the city of Milwaukee. It, it shouldn't be about politics, but the reality is it's going to be about politics. And I, I think, you know, we're setting up people to fail. You would like to see a concerted effort. You would like to see that the mayor and the police chief get together and say, yeah, we appreciate that with the homicide and the shooting rates out here, we, we would like more of a police presence. And, you know, what what we'd like, we will, we'd love to have another 50 or 60 or 70 or 80, you know, federal agents, FBI agents, uh, U.S. Marshals, Homeland Security agents, and we'd love to put them out on the streets with some of the members of the County Sheriff's Department or the Milwaukee Police Department. We'd, we'd love to have that. Now, if that's what they want to do, and you come in at the request of the local authorities, I say go with God. Otherwise, I think it's going to be something that's going to backfire. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. See, it's already started. We, we, we talked about it for the last segment of the program. Now you've got Governor Evers who's coming out there, and this whole thing is already politicized. He's saying, I don't want more federal agents in Wisconsin. Don't send them here. And and so now it just it's kind of off to to the races. And now the presence of additional federal agents is going to become an issue when the issue should be 
how do we get you know crime under control and, and to the extent you've got out of control protests uh, you know how, how do we handle all that and a couple of people texted me and said well you know we, we have federal agents you know we have DEA and FBI agents yeah I I did that for 12 years I was I was an assistant United States attorney and I, I ran the organized crime drug task force and I I, I helped I worked with the FBI and the DEA and you know local agents on, on occasions we put together and we did task force sort of work but those were particularly they were as a general rule they they were we were going after people who committing violations of federal law and the the officers that i worked with they, we weren't putting them on the streets you know supplementing the role of i, I don't know uh, supplementing the roles of uh, sheriff's deputies or milwaukee street cops and stuff I, that's i just don't see how this is going to work and, and by the way i again if 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 Tony Evers or Tom Barrett said, you know, we, we really have a our crime problem is kind of out of control now and, and we'd really like some some help from the federal government. Can you send us more agents or whatever? I, I would say, of course, if they're if they're requested. Otherwise, you get into a situation where it's like Portland and the issue becomes the presence of the extra federal authorities. Now, from my perspective, I think the more cops, the better. And I don't care whether they're FBI agents or DEA agents or Homeland Security agents or rank and file police officers. I say the more officers, the better. I mean, that that that's my approach to handling crime. But again, you don't want them to be viewed as an occupying force. We, we'll see how this all plays out, but it's already starting to get politicized. Okay, we discussed this briefly. I'm not even sure I took any calls on it yesterday. Big issue now about reopening schools. WIAA, the Wisconsin Interscholastic Athletic Association, they decided this week that they were going to try to play fall sports. Um, what they've done is that, that they pushed back the starting dates a little bit. Um, August 17th, they're going to, to start allowing competitions for some what they call non-contact or less invasive contact sports. Girls swimming, cross country, girls golf, girls tennis. And that's what they call it. They use the word girls or boys. The second starting dates would be September 7th for football, boys and girls volleyball, and boys soccer. So that's – and for for schools that choose not to participate or schools where you can't participate. So, for example, in Milwaukee, the Milwaukee Public Schools, they're, they're not open for in-person instruction. So given the fact that there's no in-person school, I, I presume that that means that there's no fall sports. So for, for schools that either choose not to participate or can't participate, they have the option of moving that fall sport, the basketball, for example, moving it to the spring. The other option that was being considered was just recognizing, given all the uncertainty that's going on right now, The other option that was being considered was taking the fall sports, moving them to the spring, leaving the winter sports where they are, moving the fall sports to the spring, and then moving the spring sports to next summer. I said yesterday, and I still believe, I think that was a superior alternative because, candidly, I I just – 
I, I don't see how you're going to be able to, for example, play a high school football season this fall. And by moving it to the spring, you would have bought some time when hopefully things are going to be better. No guarantees, but hopefully they're going to be better. And in all honesty, if see, to me, the first thing we got to figure out, worry about, is how can you get the kids back to school? How can you get the students back in school five days a week safely? That's got to be the priority. As far as the athletics, to me, that comes separately. And, and I just, I, I think trying to do this in September, for example, I, I think it's a bridge too far. I just don't see how it's going to work. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Should the WIAA have kicked the, the fall sports over to the spring or are they doing the right thing by, by going ahead and saying, you know, we're, we're going to play? And do you think they're going to really, at the end of the day, do you think they're going to be able to do that? Now, I understand I am the guy who's saying, okay, to try to get the kids back in the classrooms, try it, and then just be prepared to go to, you know, your your plan B. Athletics, football, which is different than having kids in a classroom, football, these contact sports like that, I think they would have been better just to kick it to the spring because I I just – I don't see how this is going to work. Menominee Falls tried summer school uh, sports. The summer sports, they had to to bail on it because kids tested positive for COVID. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Will this work, and is this the best way to go? We discuss next. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Emma in Heartland. Emma, good afternoon. Hi. Hi. Um, I am a high school athlete, and I'm supposed to have a sport in the fall. I'm supposed to have cross country. Okay. And what a lot of people are not realizing with, I'm going to be a senior, and a lot of my friends are going to be seniors too, is if you want to do any collegiate sports, we're getting screwed out of our season. And if we were to push um, cross-country, which is my sport, back to spring or any sport, it's going to be really late in order to show the colleges. So the whole class of 21 is, like, getting yeah. screwed over on getting recruited. Well, so yeah. That's part I, of the thing. Well, yeah, I mean, I think I think there's a lot of people, like the, the senior class last year, I, got, I think, kind of got messed over, not from a recruiting perspective, but, you know, when seasons weren't able to finish and stuff. Let me ask you this, Emma. Do you... I assume is your is your school. Are you planning to be back in school full time five days a week, or, or haven't they announced it yet? Um, well, I go to Arrowhead, right. and they haven't fully announced it yet. But the rumors are that we're supposed to go back full time with a virtual option if you want. With a virtual option if you want. Um, of course, the the schools that that aren't going to be going back, um, like for example, the Milwaukee schools. Um, those, those kids aren't going to be able to, those, those young people aren't going to be able to participate because obviously if, if you can't go back to school, you, you can't go for the athletics, I would assume. Um, is it, mm-hmm. is it, is, is it fair to them to have that happen or is it just kind of, you know, life's not fair? Yeah, unfortunately, if they're not going back, then it's going to be really hard for them to get a sports season in. I just right. think we kind of have to make the best of what we can do. Right. Are you worried? Are you concerned at all that you might, in, in the competitions, in, in traveling or interacting with all the other, the kids from different schools, that, that you might be likely to, to get sick? Are you worried about that at all? 
honestly, no, because a few of my friends have gotten sick and they didn't get very sick. And I think that I was here well before we shut down and I was okay. Um, and so I think that if I did get it, obviously we'd have to quarantine for two weeks and get healthy again, but it would set me back not too much. I would be okay in the long run. Okay, well, I appreciate you calling. I appreciate you listening, Emma, and you stay safe, okay? Stay safe and stay, stay healthy. Too. Okay, yeah. I, and again, now, you know, she makes the point of cross country. I think you can make a, a stronger argument that maybe you're going to be able to pull off a, a cross country season where you're not, you're, it's outdoors. You're not, you're not in close contact necessarily with people. Um, a, a contact sport like football, I mean, you know, good. I was, I was reading something. I don't know if it was one of the news stories, but it's like, okay, when, when you have your football practices, you're, you're not social distancing. You know, when, when, when you, when, when you, when you're on that offensive or defensive line, you guys are all bunched up to, the, the guys are all bunched up together. I, I just, I, I think it's going to be, very, very difficult. And again, I'm the guy that says give it a try, but but at the same time, sometimes it's a bridge too far. And I just wonder if they would have been better off saying, okay, we're just going to kick everything. We're going to kick all the football stuff. We're going to kick all these fall sports, and we're going to do them in the spring. And I appreciate Emma's point about you know for college recruitment, it's it's more difficult. But the, these we we live in just really strange times right now. Bob in Kewaskum. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Uh, my concern is with everybody starting these sports up early uh, and the schools uh, going ahead with them is the officials. Uh, a lot of the officials in the WIA are, are over the age of 50 yep. as it is. And uh, there is such a shortage of officials. Yep. Um, you know, especially in the closer contact sports uh, such as football and that. Uh, you know, what about their safety? And are there enough officials that would want to officiate these games should they open them up yeah i you know i think you know bob i i think that's a very very good question you know because we've we've had discussions on many occasions about how tough it is to find officials now because of all the different things that are going on and 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 how many are going to be willing to come back right now we we know for example that a lot of of the teachers you know, and, and the coaches are, well, at least a lot of teachers who double as coaches, they're, they're reluctant to want to come back. So I just, I, I, I think they're biting off a, a lot to try to, to organize this. And again, I, I, I applaud the effort, but I, I still keep thinking by, by buying time, that might have been the better way to go. Yes, I agree. Yeah, no, thanks for calling. Again, you're, the officials, that, that's a, a great point. Uh, Jeff, I, here's a text. I think they should cut their losses this year. I live in a state that made the opposite decision to postpone sports, and I'm good with that. I think proceeding gives false hope and could be potentially be costly. I'd prefer to get the kids safely back in school ahead of making this decision. Yeah, and seeing that's, I guess that that's where I, I, I come down on, first of all. And I know you, you might disagree with me when I say, I think schools need to do everything they possibly can to get the kids back, kids, to get the young people, the students, back in class as soon as possible. I understand that in, for example, the Milwaukee public school system, where you have large class sizes, where you have the kids that take public transportation and stuff, I understand why they decided that their decision to their decision on reopening was not to reopen. I, I, I get it. I, I think, you know, I understand in other school districts, they're going to be 
trying either the five days in person or maybe the, the two days on one week, three days the next, or half days, etc. But I, I guess, and this is not to in any way, shape, or form depreciate the value or the importance of high school athletics, but to me it would be, Let's figure out the academic stuff first. Let's, let's, you know, rather than, than worrying about the, the football team, let's, first of all, let's worry about how we can get the kids in the classes, we can get the teachers back, how we can do all that all safely. Because once you figure that out, everything else kind of flows from it. I hope they're able to make it work. And for callers like, like Emma, I hope she's able to go out and have this really great season and get some really great scholarships and things alike. I, I, I hope that that's the case. Um, I'm just, I'm just kind of wondering what's going to happen when inevitably you have a bunch of football players on, on a team that, that end up getting sick and then, you know, that, that, that team has to be shut down and, and you know it's going to happen. You, you just, you, you just do. You, you know it's going to happen. And I think in some of the athletic situations, there's perhaps a, a greater chance of it happening than just in getting kids back into the classroom, which again, I think needs to be the priority. This is Jeff Wagner.